Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I bring grace to you and peace from God our Father, through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Well, thank you, Lord, for grace. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder that you are Lord of all. And for all the different kinds of changes that all your different kinds of children are navigating, you're the Lord of each one of those experiences of change. Whether it's in our marriages or in our parenting, whether it's in our communities or friendships, Lord, you are, you are working through and in each of us and drawing us purposefully forward for your grace and glory and for your, your kingdom's sake. So bless us as we listen into God's word today and as we change in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we are in a uh, series called the Season of Change Worship Series, and here's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is, is that we have to own the change that comes our way, but the fact is there are some changes we choose, and there are some chooses, there are some changes that we choose, and there are some changes, there we go, that choose us. And I want you to think about that today. There are some times in our lives where we determine we are going to adopt a set of changes. It could be New Year's resolutions or otherwise because we want to do that. Sometimes change chooses us. Circumstances change and we have to adjust and those adjustments invite us to learn different skills and abilities over days so that we can walk through that change that chose us in a healthy and constructive way. Today, I want to take seriously, as we think about change, this truth, because so often change uh, ultimately comes down to effort we exert. I want to take seriously this truth that change never starts with us. It always starts with God, who then invites us to actually make changes. It starts with our baptism. It starts with us identifying as a child of God, being called by his name, whether we were baptized in, as babies with a seashell, whether we were uh, baptized as adults by getting dunked under a, a tub of water or a pool. That identity as God's children is what gives us the strength and character. It puts something mysteriously in us so that change that comes our way, either by choice or circumstance, we can navigate that change successfully. We can navigate that change, those circumstances, hopefully, and with the help of Jesus. There's a verse in Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Would you read this out loud with me? Because this gets at the theology that I'm talking about here, this foundational identity theology that rests in our heart as God's children. Let's read this together. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. That is a factual statement of reality regarding you. That's a factual statement of reality regarding that woman caught in adultery in the Gospel of John chapter 8. She was caught, she was condemned, but then she met the Christ and everything changed in that moment. And he came to her and said, where are your accusers? Who is remaining to condemn you? They're gone. 
Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. At that moment, he became her very real savior. She became a follower of Jesus. And with that, Jesus then said, because of this new relationship you and I have, because of the new life I have literally, literally, yes, literally afforded you, now go and sin no more. Change the way you're behaving. Stop living a licentious, adulterous life. The old is gone. Now the new has come. You are a new creation. So whenever we talk about change, for this season of change to really be something after God's heart, we have to start with the gospel that assures us in Christ. A change has already occurred. Our faith in Jesus Christ has introduced a new principle of spiritual power in us. And on that basis, we can enter into any conversation about actual change happily and with great enthusiasm because God has done a new thing. So we started last week this Season of Change series, and we're doing a little work with a secular book. Just want to acknowledge that. No shame, no fear in that. But a secular book called Change Anything by Carrie Patterson and Joseph Grenny. And uh, this book has simply uh, the goal of answering the question, how do you actually change? I said last week, I'll say it again for new guests here. In church, we talk a lot about repentance, transformation, and change. We always talk about doing something different, following after God, blah, 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 blah. Charlie Brown's teacher coming into my ear right now, right? Wah, 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 wah. We talk about that all the time. When has anybody ever actually helped us process what it means to do change? That's what we want to be about here at Shepherd. We don't want to be a church just that speaks pious platitudes about change, invites people to change, gripes about the world that won't change. We want to actually be agents of real change and let that change, as one Franciscan prayer begins, let it begin with us. Let it begin with us. And so today we're going to look at uh, the change matrix again. Next slide. And so just over these next three weeks, personal, social, and structural categories or aspects of change. Today we're going to look at the personal aspects of change. What does it mean for me to be motivated personally to change? To uh, desire what my soul says is undesirable, that is hard. That is difficult to get after. You know, here at Shepherd, we often confess using the words, I by nature am sinful and unclean. You know why we do that? We say those words by nature because what we want to elevate or emphasize is the truth that in me, I don't like spiritually positive change. I would much rather be self-absorbed, self-gratifying, self-fulfilling, Everything centered on what makes myself, in my soul, um, feel good, sensually uh, uh, satisfied, perhaps. When God calls us on a process of change and he lays out before us something that is spiritually positive, our sinful nature will tend to react against that. Our sinful nature, by definition, doesn't want to walk with God. It, want to walk, it wants to walk against where God is leading. 
And so this issue of motivation, making the undesirable desirable, is a very important thing to talk about. Motivation invites us to answer the question deeply, repetitively, and with progressive um, clarity. Why is it that I want to make this change? What is the greater value of me walking through a difficult process of life adjustment? Let's be able to answer that. And then finally, overinvest in skill uh, building. What does it mean for me to actually adopt new practices and habits? What are the new practices and habits I need to have in order for me to be a better father today or a better mom today for my teenage sons or daughters than I was when they were four? And believe me when I say, and every parent will agree, the skills and abilities that I needed with teenagers was totally different than when they were three or four years old. All my skills and abilities were there. Don't touch the hot oven. You know, did you go potty before you get in the car? I mean, these are basic kinds of things. If we could all go back to those days, how easy would it be? And then they hit teenage. And it's, uh, you know, we start having spasms and seizures. It's fine, though. It's fine. That's why we come to church. So, oh, God bless us. Anyways, so, so this is what we're about. So what I want to do today is I want to get into that verse that uh, I mentioned a little bit earlier. And I want to work through that verse uh, scripturally and make reference then to this motivation, skills, abilities kind of uh, split. Uh, and hopefully uh, bless you with some uh, greater um, muscle for the change, whatever change it is that you have determined you are about in this present moment or whatever change has chosen you because I know that over this Christmas holiday season a lot of changes have come into a lot of our shepherd families that people weren't prepared for family adjustments passings of loved ones uh, we want to be uh, in, in the game for all of that so so this is the verse let's read it out loud together again can we do that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The first thing I want to say is we are an I can kind of people. I mean, I'm not, uh, I am not Joel Osteen. I do not nearly have the beautiful hair that he has. I mean, my hair is leaving. I mean, he so much product in his hair, it's beautiful. Anyways, uh, but uh, I am not Joel Osteen, but I do believe this, that, that the message of confident I can is something that we, as Christians, universally should adopt. I am an I-can kind of guy. I go into every task, and even though there's maybe something in the back of my head that says, you are dead, you are going down here, Scotty, uh, I, I still, I, well, I am going into it with the attitude, I can. I want to be a congregation that says we can. When God puts something before us, no matter how hard it is, we say, we pull up you know, our, our, our pants and, and put on our shoes and we're ready to go and, and we can do this. Let's go. We can do this. Um, and that confidence comes from what I said earlier. God has given us and is doing among us a new thing. That's awesome. And, and secondly, God has given us wisdom to just figure stuff out. I want this church, especially when change spiritually comes our way and we think we cannot do this, we cannot make this change, this change won't last, that we say, no, with the body of Christ around me, supporting me, I can make this change. And I can do that because God will show me greater motivation. He will deepen my sense and understanding of why this change is purposeful and helpful. 
And then finally, he will, over time, increase in me an awareness of the skills and abilities, the practices and habits and disciplines that I need in order to get from point A to point B. We want to be I can kind of people. Paul was an I can kind of person. The next little part of this phrase, though, is a little sketchier, quite frankly. I can do all things. Well, fact is, you can't. Hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you can't do all things. When I was a freshman in high school, I was four foot nine inches tall and weighed about 85 pounds. I only know that because that was what I wrestled in eighth grade, and I didn't change a whole lot by the time I got to high school. But in high school in Morris, Illinois, we were a football powerhouse, and every eighth grader who came into the high school wanted to be part of the football team because we were winning state championships and playing deep into the playoffs all the time. And so I wanted to play on the football team. So I took my four foot nine inch body out onto the football field and we on the first day we started learning how to you know three point stance tackling drills and I went up against 140 pound five foot six inch Dave Bennington a great guy nice guy guess who won (laughs) Dave Bennington he killed me and then on the third day we did it with helmets how much did the helmets weigh you may ask 87 pounds and you know, the thing about it is, is that when you have the helmets on and you're in a three-point stance, one of the, one of the basic principles is you got to keep your head up because if you don't keep your head up, your head is going to get smashed into the ground and that defender is going to come right over the top of you and go right for the quarterback. Not that I was ever going to be a, a left tackle, mind you. So, so Coach Koopman was walking down the line, he's wearing our three-point stance, you know, getting ready to go up into the opposing players. And, and of course, this 87-pound helmet's on top of my, you know, sweet little head. Three-a-day practices, so I was down to 75 pounds because I'd lost all the water weight. I'm not making this up, by the way. You think this is an exaggeration pastorally allowed? No, it's not. This is absolutely true. I'm still recovering therapeutically from this. And and so Coach Kukman comes up, and what do you do if you're a coach? And, And one of your players on the line has got his head down. You know what you do? You come down, and you go whack right on top of his helmet, and you splat into the dirt, and that's what I did. Now, don't feel pity for me, unless you want to, just a little bit. But, but that's the way you learn to keep your head up. Third day of practice, Coach Durgo, the head coach, comes up to me, puts his arm around my shoulder and says, Seidler, i got to be honest. I don't see you getting a lot of playing time. He says, but I need a manager for the football team. How about being the manager? Now, you might think, you know, my shoulders are slumped. I'm like, oh, gosh, why am I so small? I can tell you this. I was like, thank you, Lord Jesus. If I ever wondered whether there was a God who remembered me in my poor and lowly estate, I now believe it is you. Yes, I will. And I could tape ankles faster and fix helmets better than anybody else, let me tell you. And then we won the state championship that year. It was great. I got to ride the fire trucks. It was so super. Here's the, here's the truth. Long story short. We can do a lot of things, but we can't do all things. The key is, when Paul says, I can do all things, what he's referring to is all things that God is calling me purposefully to do. So the key is determining what is God calling me purposefully to do. I was pretty clear God was not calling me to be a left tackle my freshman year in high school. But when Coach Dirgo put that before me, oh, I can do that. I can do that. 
And, and asking the question for you, what is God putting purposefully before you? Maybe that you've resisted, that you've not really wanted to embrace or go into, because that's the place of change that maybe God's saying, this is the season right now where we're going to get after that. Um, and sometimes you just don't know. You know, you can have a lot of people around you who say, well, nope, God's not calling you to do that. God's not calling you to do this. And you say, well, you know what? I disagree with you. I'm going to throw a dart and see what happens. And you throw a dart and you go down flaming. Well, okay, uh, clearly that, that really didn't work out. But there are other times where, contrary to popular opinion, you say, no, I really, in my heart, I believe God's calling me into this. And you start taking tepid, cautious steps and the blessing and the, it, it flows, you know, Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to have a social network around us to help us discern God's will for our lives. But for right now, it is true. I can do all things that God has called me to purposefully. And having that social network around me to help me discern that is an important part of why we are the Christian church. I can do all things through Christ. Um, It goes back to what I said a little bit earlier. I'll just recap that uh, briefly. And that is, you are different. Uh, scripture says that our bodies are a temple for the Holy Spirit. I don't understand exactly what that all means, but somehow the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in my life in a very real way, not just metaphorically speaking or as an illustration, but the Holy Spirit is active in me. When Jesus Christ came up to his disciples in the upper room after his resurrection, when they were scared to death that they were going to be martyred for the cause, Jesus came on them and he breathed on them, Scripture says, and gave them his Holy Spirit. That is not just a a kind of a happy thought. Something transacted in that moment that was very real. And that reality also applies to you. When you were called, when you came to faith, when you were baptized, the Holy Spirit entered into your life and so... I can do all things through Christ because Christ is in me. Not just for me, he is actually with and in me. And that new powerful principle, spiritually speaking, is something we lean on. And what does he do? He gives us strength. He gives us the courage. If we don't succeed, I love this, if we don't succeed, at least we're going to learn for the next time. And my brothers and sisters, this is where it starts. Change begins with Christ, but it also begins with us determining that Christ is acting on our behalf. In a few moments, you're going to come forward for the Lord's Supper. And and in the Lord's Supper, without being um, kind of awkward about it, but the very real presence of the body and blood of Jesus Christ is received in our mouths, into our bodies, as a picture of this truth that Christ lives and works in us. And so as you receive this gift this morning, it's not just as a token or a reminder of what you know, Christ has done, but it is the delivery system of God for that renewal in grace, for the confidence that as you walk out of here, you cannot just walk, but you may leap for joy, hop, skip, and jump into the world because you now have not just an I can attitude, you have an I can kind of savior. 
And that's where real change begins with us. I don't know all the changes that are at work in this room today. I don't know everything that is before you. I don't know how scared you are about what it is you're walking into as you're trying to figure out what the next steps are, gaining the skills and abilities, deepening in your motivation. I don't know any of this, but the thing I do is that Christ is at the center of it all. And because Christ is at the center of it all, it gives us a foundation for talking with one another, encouraging one another, sharing the joy of this season of change that Shepherd finds itself in. And so let's get after it. And let's be here next week as we go one step further and think about the social network that is absolutely necessary, the church that must be around a child of God in order for change to really take root, blossom and grow. You can't do change by yourself. It takes a family of believers to have it happen. That's where we get next week. Let's bow our hearts and heads in prayer as we wrap up today. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to revisit, to revisit your call on us to change. Whether teenagers or whether in the twilight years of our life, none of us are exempted from your call to change. Whether it's the change we choose or the change that chooses us, be the center of that change, O oh God. And give us the attitude that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, all things that you purposefully call us to do. Those things can be accomplished. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has chosen us, called us to be his very own, taken up residence in his life, given us his Holy Spirit, and therefore we are different. And we will never be the same. To the glory of God. Amen. Let's rise and uh, let's spend a few moments confessing.